Thank you for downloading Season 6, Episode 8 of Baseball Pitching the Fix, featuring baseball pitching motion expert Angel Borelli. I am your host, Joe Janish. And in this episode, we have some really exciting topics to talk about. In our first segment covering MLB, we will be talking about pitching through injuries and specifically Jake Arrieta of the Philadelphia Phillies. And after that, we will go into our segment on the teaching moment and we will be discussing front leg stability and Angel's favorite ways to work with stability of the front leg. And in case you're not sure, she'll also explain why front leg stability is important. And then finally in the pearls section, Angel for once is going to let me know what we're talking about. And <laughs> I'll give you a little hint as well. We will be talking about Noah Syndergaard and also about his issue with inconsistent release point. And it probably will apply to a lot of other pitchers that you may work with. So without further ado, Angel, thank you for joining us today. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad too, because otherwise we wouldn't have a show. <laughs> well, uh, in any case, so we're going to start things off with something that I saw in an MLB game and what I've been reading about recently. I'm, I'm a big fan of the Philadelphia Phillies, mainly because they beat up on the New York Mets. And I like anybody who beats up on the New York Mets. Uh, and recently, it was about a week or two ago, for those who are listening in the future, we are recording this right around mid-July. Jake Arrieta pitched against the Mets and he caused a big hoopla and a almost a bench-clearing brawl because he kept hitting New York Mets batters and uh, he hit one of the batters, Todd Frazier, with a change-up of all things and Todd got a little upset and almost charged the mound, had some choice words and there were almost fists flying. But in any case, I was watching the uh, the replay of all that, and I'm thinking, well, first of all, if you want to hit somebody on purpose, it's probably not going to be with a changeup. <laughs> good point, <laughs> right? And and Jake Arrieta, he's a he's a pretty good pitcher. He's been one of the top pitchers in baseball for the last five years. And I'm thinking something has got to be up with this guy. I mean, you, you don't he doesn't just like start hitting three batters a game and hit them with changeups. And his performance this year has been really bad. And really bad for Jake Arrieta. I mean, his ERA over his last seven starts is almost seven. So it came out that he has been pitching through a bone spur in his right elbow and that that bone spur will require surgery at some point. It's funny. I was reading here and it said, it's unclear how much the bone spur has affected Arietta, who has a 6.63 ERA in his past seven starts. And I'm thinking, well, <laughs> I would think one might be related to the other. I mean, especially since, you know, trying to do anything through pain is going to affect how you're doing things. And now it just came out. Uh, the most recent news is from his manager, Gabe Kapler. He said, this is what Gabe Kapler said about Jake Arrieta. He said, he's having a harder time getting extended the way he normally does, especially on the curveball. This is limiting his ability to throw the ball where he wants to throw it. And I'm looking at that. I'm thinking, well, this is this is kind of a problem, and I wanted to bring it up with Angel. I wanted to say, well, first of all, I mean, I mean, I'm assuming that a bone spur would affect uh, a pitcher's accuracy and, and control, but the thing that really hits me is, should pitchers be pitching through injuries like this? Because there was another quote by his manager, Gabe Kapler. He said, "Finally, I think this is an important note in answering this question." 
It's not terribly uncommon for veteran pitchers to successfully pitch with issues like this one. So as of now, Jake will make his start against the Nationals and we're going to support him. And the manager also confirmed that Jake Arrieta will have scans done on his elbow. And after his next start, it'll give the Phillies their best indication of his long-term availability this season. So I'm putting the question to you, Angel. Is it common for pitchers to pitch through a bone spur in their elbow? And is it a good idea? And is there ever a case when a pitcher should pitch through an injury? So I, uh, you did answer a question that I was asking, which is I'm assuming the bone spur was in the elbow. Did they say which bone of the elbow? Because remember, everybody, you have the upper arm bone. So everybody calls the elbow. Everybody thinks the only joint in the arm in the middle is the elbow. But there are there is another joint there called the radio ulnar joint. And it's the joint of the forearm. But normally when you hear people talk about the elbow, it's somewhere in the middle. And so it's going to be involved in either the two bones that are in the forearm or the upper bone that is uh, the upper arm bone. Joe, did they mention the name of a bone? It would have been radius, ulna, or humerus. No, they, they didn't go with that okay. deep into it. I, th- I think they were they just wanted to say that there was something going on and didn't want to get too far into it. Okay. So I'm guessing, well, you can't guess on this because they mentioned uh, having trouble getting extension with the curveball. The curveball has more forearm rotation than any other pitch. So if somebody's injured, uh, and this is just a note for all you coaches, you know, when you're trying to figure out what's going on with the pitcher, if the one specific pitch that a pitcher is having any problem with with pain or whatever, that's an indication that kind of tells you, hmm, because the forearm rotates more in a curveball, it supinates more, you know, the other pitches, the grips are pronated. And so that's palm down and the curveball, you rotate the palm up, start uh, rotating it up. And so it's uh, partially supinated uh, during the delivery. And so if there's more problems with that pitch, it's possible that that rotation is actually putting that injury, you know, in that certain angle. I think everybody knows when you have an injury, you could maybe walk or you could maybe do this. But if you go to sit down or you do certain angles, an injury can hurt more. So we've got two issues here. One is Jake specifically in the bone spur thing. And boy, this is getting common with bone spurs that players are having, not just pitchers, but bone spurs. I just got done looking at a photo of somebody. And I was at the gym working with the pitcher and he showed me a bone spur that had grown at the bottom of his labrum. And so right around the, um, Oh, how could you say it would probably be at the bottom of the humeral head. And it was amazing to actually see the photo of the bone with the protrusion. So a bone spur is where the bone actually decides it's going to grow in a different direction than it normally does. And bones are the most cool thing. When I was studying physiology, bones are awesome the way they develop. That's why fractures heal so well. But bones are just very cool about their cellular makeup in the way that they develop. And what I want everyone to know is that a bone takes its message from how it's supposed to grow from the direction of the force put on it. And because we are walking around kind of human beings, our bones developed in a certain area. If you look at a runner, he's going to have a thicker lower leg bone 
if you do a lot of overhead work uh, in the gym, you're going to develop nice, good strength in your bone. Bones like to be challenged on a vertical axis, so you get a beautiful bone development. So all of you who have kids and you've seen them go from crawling to walking, Walking is great. And the more they walk, the stronger their bones get. It's why we don't let people rest in a hospital for too long because the bones start, they need that force. If you have a bone that all of a sudden is developing a protrusion in a direction that is not desirable, which is what a bone spur is, it can't, a bone can't get longer unless you're taking growth hormone or unless you have something weird going on, you can't, bones can't get longer. They get thicker. It's why when you see athletes who you know have taken steroids, their face looks different because the bone got was growing or when they were taking growth hormone, the bones will grow in a different direction. That's drug-induced bone growth. When you have a bone that's developing a spur, it's because it's getting pressure in a certain place. And the bone is thinking, oh, I'm supposed to grow there because that's the way bones grow. And because you're putting it into a direction of force it's not used to, it's actually laying down other cells. So that's what a bone spur is. And I'm, of course, doing a very uh, elementary description of it, but you can just get that get that sense of it. So here's the double whammy, Joe, with Arietta and his bone spur. So we're talking about should he pitch through it. So number one, we've got the double whammy. His mechanics or the way he was using his arm was causing the muscles to pull on the bone in a way it didn't like. And so the bone was getting some stimulation and the bone started being affected by the incorrect mechanics. There's no other way he could be getting that. In other words, some bone is rubbing in a weird way because a muscle's pulling it in a weird way. So now we've got, and he's fine, but he's got a mechanical issue that is creating something at a very specific site. So then that situation gets worse and now the bone starts growing and now he's actually got something there. And now we've got a real estate issue. We've got a bone with muscles and tissue around it, but we've got a little growth that's being that's hitting on the tissue. It can be shredding the tissue. It can be shredding the tendon. Who knows? Because we don't know where it's at or what muscles involved. So now we've got the actual physical change that's occurred right on top of the spot where he was doing something that wasn't perfect for his body. So now you've got the original mechanical flaw. You've got the physical starting to respond to that mechanical flaw. And now we know it's serious because it's so serious that his muscles cannot contract the same way they used to in order to produce location. So remember, everybody, when a pitcher locates a ball, I don't care what his mechanics look like. He could be doing somersaults into his delivery. What he does from the elbow to the fingertips is going to determine what the ball does and where that forearm and hand is in relationship to what he's, his head and what he's looking at are going to contribute as well. So let's just take a pitcher who's facing, he's square to the plate, everything's cool, and he just releases the ball. What his forearm does 
indicates and his wrist does indicates where the fingers are going to be on the ball and what kind of pressure is going to be on the ball. So if he's got a nice straight flat ball, okay, a fastball, okay, everything's cool. If he starts to rotate unusually, you're going to have a weird location because you're going to have a weird spin. So if he's got an injury in his elbow, he had a mechanical flaw or let's put it this way. When I say mechanical flaw, let's talk about it that maybe it wasn't mechanics showing up in his delivery per se, but there was something he was doing that was not joint mechanics sound. Like, you know, what I do as a kinesiologist, I make sure every joint is working correctly. You can still locate a pitch, but be doing something that the that the body does not like. He was doing something that the body didn't like. Apparently, he was still getting away with it. It wasn't affecting his performance. So that little thing that the joint didn't like started developing a spur. And that thing he didn't like, the thing that the body didn't like, has now he's not getting away with that movement anymore because now he's got pain in that site. And so now we've got the double whammy problem. The original thing of misusing the joint, he was misusing the way that joint was supposed to work because you don't get bone spurs unless something is happening that's unusual. And now he's got the pain from it. Does that scenario make sense, Joe? Yeah, I want to throw in, I I forgot to mention, he also had bone spurs in his elbow removed back in 2011. Oh, you know what? I read that too. Thank you for reminding me when you sent me the link. By the way, Joe, excellent choice of topic because this is what this is the take home message from scenarios like this. Number one, there's always an explanation for what's going on. But number two, I think we've talked about maybe once or maybe a thousand times getting to the cause of the problem. Right. If you don't blow things off. In 2011, if he didn't blow off the bone spur, if somebody had said, hey, we can fix this bone spur, no problem. And that is exactly what can happen. Doctors can go in and do beautiful work. They're great at this. They just shave it off. Right. And hopefully you heal. In 2011, he was misusing something. Guess what? He didn't change what he was doing. Right. And I would love to know if it's in the same location. Did it indicate if it was in the same location? The reports that I have seen for both 2011 and for today, they're they're not specific about where the actual spurs occurred. Okay. So let's talk about the triple scenario. Oh, actually, I think we've got a quadruple scenario going on. So we've got a joint that's doing something it doesn't want uh, like to do. And so the bones are being pulled in a weird way. That's 2011. He gets the bone spur operated, which means he had to have been in pain. So while he's pitching, while he's in pain in 2011, he's slightly altering his mechanics. You know, think about it. If you move a certain way and your back hurts, you're not going to move that way. You're going to find a different way to get up and down from a chair. Or you're going to find a different way to sit down. So now we've got that. Then he gets operated. He starts returning to play. His body and nervous system remembers that pain. Now he's got a slightly different set of mechanics, could be the third version now. Then he gets another bone spur because regardless of what he's doing, he still never realized that that bone spur was a a message saying, you're using me incorrectly. And so that's the scenario we have now. So 
is it okay to pitch with injuries? And I think when we you first presented this topic to me, Joe, your question was, should a pitcher ever pitch through pain? Yes. Let's put it this way. Pain is, unless it's an acute injury, meaning that you in you were fine, you absolutely were fine, but you know, you got hit with the ball in the eye and that's an acute injury. You got hit in the ball with the ball in the elbow. That's an acute injury. Unless it's an acute injury, pain is not the first stage of anything that's wrong. Soreness might be, not recovering probably would be first. Then there's soreness that hangs around. Then there's like slight, slight aching. And then you usually get pain. If pain occurs, it means you've done something pretty acutely to it. But let's talk about the kinds of things that happen that you're, you're doing wrong but you're getting away with it. Like we all know, we've seen pictures on the mound. We go, ouch, that must hurt. And then three years later, they have surgery. So we can do things with our body that are not good things and we can get away with it. And most, for most of us who are just walking around sitting and everything, we're fine. We don't get injured. But if you're in a sport, lifting weights or pitching, you're not using something efficiently, it will break down. So what happens is, There is no need to have an injury if you pay attention early. So when you are pitching and you start to have these early signs, those are the phases where when you pitch, you can continue pitching as long as you're addressing what the cause of that soreness is. And you get rid of that soreness right away. And that could mean not even having to go on the DL. It might mean I'm going to skip my pen. I'm going to figure out what's going on here and I'm going to get on top of it. And I've done that a million times for my my pitchers. Because we get on top of it in the second something starts aching. But once it's in a pain zone, which is what your question was, should you pitch through an injury? An injury means pain. Absolutely not. Because it only gets worse. The pain is the way, the language that the body is using to ask you not to use it anymore. That's what inflammation is too. If something inflames, your body's saying, don't use me. So it's almost like the, you know, an oxymoron. If you're in pain, there shouldn't be a question about it because you're already in, in, in a place where you've gone too far. So absolutely pain, something you call an injury, you should not be pitching through it. Now, why do these guys do it? Because it's their job. Number one, they don't want to lose it. Number two, everybody gets really good at ignoring things. If you've got a pitcher who you find out has been pitching through an injury, like a bone spur, that thing didn't just grow a week ago. That's been bothering him for a while. He has pain with it. But he was so good back in 2011 at ignoring soreness, probably, that now he's an expert at it. People become experts at ignoring their pain and soreness. And actually, all of us humans do that. We don't want to react to it. But unfortunately, because there isn't a lot of there aren't a lot of people running around that can connect dots, that people think it's worse than it is when it starts to hurt. And so then they don't address it. And usually they don't address it until it becomes worse. So if you address it when it's small, it never gets to that point. So in answer to your question, Joe, you should never, ever, ever pitch through pain. You should absolutely start to acknowledge the beginning phases of something that doesn't feel right. Your right arm should feel like your left arm if you're a righty and vice versa. 
and if there's any weird thing happening with recovery, and that's usually the first sign, recovery doesn't happen. That means the muscle's not healthy. And then the next thing is it's, t- it's, it's, yeah, the soreness is sticking around. It's fatiguing sooner. But guys, if your mechanics are off, when we say somebody's mechanic, when someone who does what I do, when I say that there's something that needs to be adjusted in the mechanics, that's not just me going, oh, I think he should deliver this way or he'd look better doing this. No, I'm actually seeing a joint because that's what I look at, joints. I'm looking at each joint and I'm saying the ankle doesn't want like to twist that way or the foot doesn't like to land that way or the knee doesn't like to be in that position or the shoulder joints in a weird place or he's tweaking his elbow. I'm looking at positions that aren't healthy. So again, paying attention to efficiency the same way uh, you look at your car to make sure your tires, you know, that you're not getting bald on a tire. And if it, you are, you get a front end alignment. If you're wearing out unusually, it's really the same exact thing with the body. So absolutely no pitching through pain, but good luck with getting pitchers to actually do that. They are experts at minimizing what they feel. Yeah. But this is where coaches need to make a create a safe environment for them to do this. But this message is really for pitchers because I think coaches these days are sensitive to pain that pitchers are having. I think they'd be sensitive, but pitchers are, they're really the ones that let themselves get into so much trouble. Any pitcher that we interview that has Tommy John talks about, uh, I had a bone spur, I had forearm tightness. They all get the signals that they chose to ignore. So really and truly, I know many times I used to think it was the major leagues or it was the leagues or it was the coaches. No, not these days. It's really the pitchers that need to wake up. Yeah. And, you know, to your point, you mentioned that, you know, these pitchers, it's their job. The thing with Jake Arrieta is he just signed a huge, huge contract with the Phillies who thought this year would be their year to maybe contend for first place and it's not working out well. And you know, one of the things that his manager said is, you know, even, even though this is limiting his ability to throw, we'd rather have Jake Arietta at 85% of himself than someone at AAA. Like, so he's just being pushed through because he's being paid to do this. But I mean, I, you know, the way I'm looking at it and thinking about it was pretty much what you said. You know, once, once you have a pain in one place, you're going to adjust so that you don't feel that pain. So, all right, you're going to have him pitch through this. How do you know he's not going to now hurt something in his shoulder or somewhere else in his body. And now you have two problems to deal with at the end of the season and, and more lost games because he's really not, he's really not pitching well at all. Exactly. And that's that to your point there, what's his, his ERA is over six right now. If he had handled this when, you know, and or let's put it this way, and I don't want to sound like I'm jamming him up. If any pitcher who gets into soreness, see, here's the thing. The pitchers don't even realize, this goes back to what I'm always saying, guys, it's not a big deal to make an adjustment to your body that's not going to affect your pitches in a negative way, it's going to affect you in a good way. And adjustments are the very first phase of getting rid of soreness. If you're getting a soreness all of a sudden in a joint or in a group of muscles, that means you're doing something that the muscles don't like. And they pretty much like to do a lot of stuff. I mean, think about it. You walk around all day, your body is amazing. 
if all of a sudden your elbow's hurting, your forearm's hurting, you're doing something a little differently. Don't be so afraid of having an adjustment made. It's going to make you feel better. And guess what? You're not going to end up with a 6.5 ERA. Right. You're going to take care of it. But I think it stems from a fear of adjustments. Nobody knows that that you actually can connect the dots between the location of the pain. Remember, coaches, in the world of science, we are able to connect over the phone. If I know where the pain is, you know, I have pictures sending me photos all the time and they're pointing to something. And I can tell them over the phone where in the motion it hurts. And they're blown away that I go, oh, so that hurts right prior to release, right? And they go, how'd you know? I'll go, oh, it hurts right after the ball is gone. How did you know? It's, listen, it's real simple because we understand that's our job. We're as good at what we do as pitchers are at what they do. So if people would be less afraid, they would get on it. And guess what? My job with my pitchers is they never miss a start. So we've got three or four or five days to try to get on top of stuff. And guess what? If you do the right thing right away with the thing that's causing the pain, you know, you're hitting, you just stop hitting yourself in the head with the hammer. The second you stop, it feels better. That's exactly the way it is with an adjustment. So don't let it get to the pain zone. Once you're in the pain zone, once you're in the category of an injury, once you're taking anti-inflams, you're already waited too long. So everyone needs to get on top of things right away. And don't be so afraid of early identification. Yeah, those are those are messages that are they're telling you to, to do something and act on it rather than ignore it. Exactly. All right. Well, good luck to Jake. It doesn't sound like it's going to be very good for him going forward. Let's move on to our teaching moment. And today we'll be, we will be talking about front leg stability and some of your favorite ways to work with stability of the front leg. Why don't you start off, Angel, with just explaining why front leg stability is so important for those who have not heard our previous podcast on the subject. Okay, so before we start looking at the photos and the videos, so uh, a few weeks ago, we I was addressing this, and I had a lot of interest from coaches on this subject. So, you know, I do, uh, and actually, I think we were doing a uh, podcast on location, One of the most important things for pitchers to stay uninjured is that they have control over their motion. And control over their motion means that, because think about it, they're moving downhill with forces trying to pull them downhill. They are extending their body downhill. They have to do all of that while they're rotating real fast. And they have to do all that and make sure that they hit a very small spot or a particular spot in the zone And so it's not an easy task. If the body with which you are moving downhill and with which you are doing all these gyrations isn't stable while it's doing it, then you're not going to be able to ever see your own max velocity. And you may, of course, also have location problems. So stability of any athlete's motion, I don't care if he's a quarterback, a linebacker, a basketball player, a player must be in charge of his own body. Now, when it comes to the pitching motion, every part of the body has a particular role with keeping the body in the right place at the right time. So when the arm positions itself to hit the target, it actually can hit what it sees. If the body is moving around at the moment of ball release, 
then the location will be off. Remember, your eye is taking a picture and sending a message to the hand. We all know what hand-eye coordination is. And we all know it because we use it all day long. It's why we don't poke ourselves in the eye all day. So with a picture, and, and now I'm remembering, Joe, it was when we were discussing location. With a pitcher who has to hit a spot and do a very particular thing with his fingers and his wrist, it's very important that he be behind the ball in a particular way. And he has to have a delivery that allows him to get to that point each time. And I know that coaches want each pitch to be released from the same place. And you, in order for a pitcher to do that, he's got to have a consistency with his body. Consistency is a product of stability. It is not separate from it. It is a product of it. So when you take and you wind back the needs of the pitching motion, that the ball releases correctly, that the wrist does the right thing, when you wind it back, it all starts with stability. And of course, the stability that is required first is in the lower body. And today's topic happens to be about the front leg. The back leg, as I mentioned before, stabilizes the front leg. If you picture a pitcher as he's facing his target, his back leg is down. He's able to trunk tilt to deliver the ball. But what we're talking about right now is the very special role that the front foot plays and the front leg and the very important needs it has. And the the focus I want to have today are dealing with the forces that the front foot and thigh are facing in the motion that cause a pitcher to be unstable. So when I started working with the motion, one of the first things my eye went to is how a pitcher finishes his pitch. And we know, I mean, wasn't there a pitcher who used to fall and catch himself on the ground? Oh, yes. I think he pitched yeah, for the Angels yeah. Yeah. long time ago. Every pitch. We're not talking he slipped. That was his finish. We see pitchers with crazy finishes. Well, what that tells me is there's something not in control in the middle. I'm not saying that a pitcher is going to have a sort of a cookie cutter type of finish depending, of course, on how hard he's throwing. But there has to be some sense of control, or at least during the parts of the motion, where he has to have stability so that the power he gets just prior to release is actually manageable by him and also doesn't affect the location of the ball. So right now we're talking about the kind of stability that's needed so that the pitcher can create a consistent delivery and can actually have something to work with if he is becoming if he's succumbing to some of the things that happen in the motion like the way gravity is pulling or the way forces are going then he's not going to be able to apply the force that he needs or he's going to apply the force but be out of control so much that he will not be able to locate the ball thus we have the pitcher who can throw hard but he can't find the plate or we have the pitcher that can't throw hard and can't find the plate because he's falling all over the place. So that is the type of front leg stability that we're talking about today. And I want to look at the first photo. Joe, have you got the first photo up? I do. Okie dokie. So this actually is Preston. He's one of my pitchers that's been in from Tennessee, out of, from out of town. Goes to Briarcrest uh, in the Memphis area. And Preston has had, uh, Preston is a pitcher who, you know, when you look at a pitcher and you say, 
is his pitching motion more developed than his body? Or is his body so great, but he's not getting anything out of it? You know, when you look at pitchers as a coach, you're, you whether you are doing it consciously, you're kind of looking at that. And Preston has the most favorable part of that scenario. He is a great pitcher with so much fire, thus his uh, nickname Fireball. He has so much fire and such a great arm that his body development was behind it so that he was out of control with his body. So when he came at the beginning of the summer to stay out here to work on his strength training, we were addressing that issue, controlling your body during the parts of the motion where where you as a particular pitcher lose control. And he would lose control as he was rotating from his stride landing into his delivery and he would pull sideways. So for a right-handed pitcher who pulls sideways, that's him pulling to the left. Well, and of course, through all the analysis, he was a pitcher whose front foot was ending up on the edges. You couldn't hold the inside of the foot down. He also didn't have the correct alignment of the lower leg with the knee. So I had to take that issue and begin to work on it in this off season where it was going to be general strength so that he can understand his legs and the alignment. But then I had to develop pitching specific issues. And for the type of issue he had, and it's the type that every pitcher has on the mound, we've got two kinds of forces that we're dealing with. So this first set of photos is about the first issue. So I want everyone to look at the photo. And first of all, this is the beginning of the motion, the beginning of the drill. And I want you to notice that he has an ankle strap on his left ankle. He is hooked up to a cable machine. There is weight on that cable. So that cable is trying to pull him towards the machine. And that's why he's facing the cable. If he lets go of that leg, he will be pulled right into the machine. So what he's doing with the position of this drill, this exercise, is the cable represents gravity. When a pitcher is going downhill and gravity is trying to pull him down, he has to actually be forceful downhill, even though controlled, and he has to stop his foot. And he has to resist gravity and maintain an alignment in the front leg so he can go over the front leg. So what I did is I created or simulated something that would be pulling on his ankle. So first notice the position of his foot is perfect. His ankle is towards, and I'm going to call it towards the tongue of the shoe. And in kinesiology, that's called a flexed ankle. Serious scientific terminology, dorsiflexed. When the ankle is pushed towards the tongue of the shoe, your ankle is the strongest. When a pitcher lands on a hill, that ankle is going to be open. He's got to move his ankle into this locked position. The safest place for the knee is when the knee's right over the ankle. So therefore, the lower leg is going to be vertical. And the position we want the thigh to be in when a pitcher lands is at the height you see on Preston or with some pitchers a little bit higher. This is a position where the energy from the foot is able to transfer through the leg and get up to the torso so he can rotate. So what I've done here is I positioned him in the position that a pitcher is in when he's already rotated and he's getting ready to go over his front leg. And remember, what he has to process is 
His body's on a hill. His front leg has to be stable, but yet he has to go forward more. He's got to go downhill more with his arm and his trunk, but he can't let the front leg let go. So that's what he's processing. So this is the start of the drill. And I just have him, I just told him, let your left arm hang, put your right arm up as if you're getting ready to release a ball so that he could feel where his center of mass was. And by the way, everyone, this is a great time to teach the importance of the rear leg. If his rear leg and his rear upper hamstring and glute muscle weren't contracting, he would not be able to maintain this front leg. Remember, that cable has probably, I don't know how much weight we had on it, depends. He's not moving that leg, but that that cable's representing a force trying to pull him downhill. Joe, have I explained that clearly enough for that one? Yes, yes. Okay, so let's move to the second photo. So in this photo, what you're seeing is now there he is moving. He's, he's in the middle of the motion. So his job was don't move your foot, don't move your ankle, don't move your knee. Tilt at the hip and go over the leg, and now your back leg is coming up. So he's in the middle of probably where he would be applying if he were really pitching, the ball would have just left his hand probably. And his challenge is that that front leg, the architecture of that leg does not change as he does what he needs to do with his body so he can deliver the ball. Is that clear, Joe? It is. Awesome. Okay. So on the next photo, we see him tilting even more because as he's gone through the ball, his trunk is going to lay out even more and he's getting ready to go into his follow through. And again, his directions for this drill were that he was not to shake that foot, come on the edge. He was, And his problem was having too much weight going into the toe, so he would be overrunning his foot. And the way a pitcher keeps balance and allows this to happen is you want to look at his front side. He's got all the weight of his trunk and his front arm are way out over his body. The only way this works is if his back leg is way out in the opposite direction. Do you see how balanced he looks, Joe? He looks really balanced, too. Yeah, and that's what you want to teach. People don't get. You're not running. You're not running. You want as much weight in the back as in the front so you can go forward, but you don't follow the ball. You got to have your weight behind the ball. I mean, when you look at this, you realize why the pitchers get the big bucks. This is not an easy skill. It's got precision to it. Okay, so now here he is now coming out of the drill. Now, the reason why this is important, we know that pitchers, when they're throwing hard, we don't know how they're going to finish. But you have to learn how to move correctly when you're doing a drill in the gym and you have to know what muscle does what because your chance of duplicating it in your motion is going to be greater. So in that in this picture, you've noticed the whole time he's only got one leg on the ground, right? Right. So that leg has to be stable. So he was in that horizontal position you saw before. We was very balanced. The way he comes up is from the left glute muscle. So the left hip is responsible for raising him up. The muscle is controlling his upward movement. 
pitchers think the back leg drops down and they end up with very crazy deliveries. The left leg is lowering the body. And if you open up the, uh, or take a look at the next photo, the last photo here, you're going to see that he now is in a standing position. So picture in your mind and look at the photo where he's horizontal. He leans forward and goes horizontal over the left leg. Then he comes back up and finds this standing position. Now, what did we just see? We saw that the body starts with two legs on the ground, facing the target, it goes over the left leg, and then it comes back. That's what the left hip does. Now, what you didn't see in this, because we're talking only about this phase, is think about this. The pitcher is sideways when he's on the stretch or as he turns into the windup. He strides out, so now the left leg is leading out. The left leg lands. He turns on top of that left leg. Now he's in the position that Preston was in at the beginning of this photo presentation. Then he tilts over the front leg, and that leg's the only one on the ground, so his survival is for that muscle to work to bring his body back up. When he has to come back up to catch a ball that's hit at him or be able to take a fast step to cover first, he's got to know which leg is it that's the active leg. You can't try to make the right leg the active leg when it's not on the ground yet. So these are the important things that a pitcher has to understand, and then what he's able to do is get into a great pitching motion. So this is how we worked with Preston and his foot. So what this drill is, is working with one set of forces that's very critical for a pitcher to understand, which is something's trying to pull him downhill, but he's got to be able to stop in the middle of that and not allow it to pull him all the way so he can do what he wants with rotation and then hitting his target. Does that make sense, Joe? Yeah, definitely does. And this, by the way, was a very successful drill. That's why I absolutely loved it. So I just designed this for him. It's so it's so easy to duplicate. And what I recommend to coaches is that you do it yourself. Put an ankle strap, get to a cable, and look at the picks. And when you feel it, you will be amazed at what it is. And it's so perfect because it teaches so many things. Joe, uh, do you have any questions on that that maybe uh, somebody might be uh, asking themselves as they're listening? Or do, did I explain everything? No, it's explained pretty well. I forgot to preface all of this by saying that for those of you who are listening and wondering what pictures we're looking at, go to the notes section of the, of the podcast app and you will see a link to where you can find the photos. Yes, Angel Borelli pitching on YouTube. Right. So... The thing that's interesting to me is that I I don't see a whole lot of professional pitchers who actually get into this position. <laughs> actually, if you if you frame by frame it, you would see that they all get into a version of this. Now, what they don't do is they don't usually maintain the. A lot of them pull the knee backward, right? Uh, so they're not releasing as close to the plate, and that's a flaw. But it's a flaw because and I think it keeps it. And first of all, it's very unhealthy for the front knee joint. But the other thing is it's what's done when they hit. 
and most kids hit before they pitched. And so they're, they don't understand that, you know, your, be- your biggest strength is taking your trunk and tilting forward. You pull the knee backward, you end up pulling your hand away from your release point. By the way, I think an important thing to say about stability is, so sometimes you might say, well, my pitcher is totally stable. And then just as he releases the ball or right after, then he seems to fall all over the place. The brain doesn't work that way. The brain is ahead of what you're actually doing. For example, I always use this to demonstrate the the fantastic nature of the brain. As you are walking towards the kitchen counter, looking at a gallon of water that you're going to have to lift up to put away a full gallon of water, your brain is already engaging the exact number of motor units in the muscle that it's going to need to lift that bottle of water. If you're picking, if you're looking at a box of books on the floor and you're looking in it, the brain is already engaging the amount of force you're going to have to exert. Thank God it does that because if you went to pick up an empty box or a a glass of water, you would be over overdoing things. So the brain is ahead. When the brain has emotion, if you see instability right after the release, that instability occurred prior to the release. So that pitcher was off balance and falling into the release. We don't want the release of the ball to be a victim or vulnerable to the weaknesses you have in your body stability. You want the ball, you want the pitcher to do the amazing things that these guys do with the ball. You want to give them that ability to do that. That's actually what my job is. Everybody who comes to me already knows how to pitch. I don't have to teach them that. I teach them how to let have their body help them do what they want to do with the ball and having control over it. So training and giving this drill helps them understand. You see, most issues with pitchers are they don't understand what they need to do. And you tell a good athlete, hey, you're going downhill. Gravity's trying to pull you. You've got to have stability in your front leg. They're not going to do it to have it look exactly like this, but they're going to do their version of stability. Does that make sense, Joe? Yeah, yeah. And and, and again, going back to what you just said, I, I don't see a lot of pitchers in that position that this pitcher is in. And, and actually, the, the pitcher we just talked about, Jake Arrieta, is one of those one of those pitchers who pulls back with his front leg. And, and I just want people to understand that having a stiff leg that's pulling back is not the same thing as the stability that you're talking about. I just want to point that out. Yeah. And now that we've got this photo up, uh, my favorite demonstration about not pulling the knee backward. And, and I think everyone knows you snap the knee back. And so if you look at the picture from the side, his front legs angling backwards, get in this position here that this uh, drill starts at. Get in that position and put your hand out like you're releasing a ball and do it next to a wall and have somebody put a little pencil mark on the wall or just look at where you're at on the wall. Do it near a picture or something. Now keep your hand there and then take your front knee and slam it backwards carefully, straighten it backwards and see how your hand moves away from the point you were just at. Right. Yeah. And it makes a big difference. It changes the direction of what's happening. So anyway, okay, great. Well, wait, you see what I did on the mound. So with this being said, I had to deal with another set of forces. And so let's go ahead and look at the uh, photo. There's going to be two photos here. Mm -hmm. 
and I want you to see this little thing. This is, uh, I'm going to show a video in a second, but so here's what we've got. I've got him on a mound. Now I want everyone to understand something. So you see the downhill and obviously we just talked about forces are trying to pull him down. That's why pitchers slam, put, push their knee backward because they're trying to resist. I say, use your muscles to resist, not your bones. Okay, so what I did is I took a, this is an actual thigh strap. It's bigger than an ankle strap, but ankle straps sometimes work. And I tied it, we got it over his knee. And again, he's in that perfect position. And I've got my catcher applying force. He's pulling the belt towards, the catcher's pulling it towards him. So Preston has to actually have force going in the other direction towards the infield because the forces in pitching as he turns, he's a right-handed pitcher. So you're looking at him dead on now. He's going to make a turn. And as he makes that turn, the forces are going to come around and they're going to go in towards the inside of his thigh. And they're going to be trying to push him that way. Coaches think about this. When you see pitchers fall and you don't want them to fall, which way are they usually falling if they're a right-handed pitcher? To the left. If they're pulling their head off alignment and they're a right-handed pitcher, which way are they pulling their head? To the left, because the forces are coming in a circular manner, going right through that way. When I say circular, I mean you're developing this rotation force, and then you've got forces going through the leg. So, what Jacob is representing, my catcher, is he's pulling the force. And Preston has to make sure that he's stabilizing and not letting himself go that way. That's making his ankle and foot stay flat. And I wanted you to see it from this angle. Uh, so the side picture, the second picture, he's actually got his arm up because now he's going to throw like this. So he's going to turn and throw, and he has to stabilize that foot and ankle while the forces are pulling that way. Because the truth is, he's got two combinations that he has to make sure he's strong enough to handle. One is what you saw in the first exercise in the gym, downhill, gravity pulling downhill, and another set trying to pull him off to his left side. So let's look at the video. So now we have. Preston throwing and not moving the foot and the knee at all. He's rotating his, his trunk, tilting over his left leg. He's rotating and tilting over his leg without having any movement or change of architecture through his foot and ankle. This drill here teaches feel to the pitcher so that, and actually he's not throwing to anybody there because my catcher is busy. <laughs> so usually my catcher's catching him and I'm filming, but you start like this. He's the catcher's at 15 feet. You can take this in any direction you want. And then when you feel like he's felt it, then you just have him apply that when he's throwing. And I do this downhill because the ankle has to process more when it's downhill. So we've got two things we can do to give the pitchers the feel of what they're supposed to do. And here's what I love about pitchers. When you teach them how to feel what they're supposed to do, they combine that 
with the genius they already have or they wouldn't be a pitcher. You see, I lead with their intelligence. I always have. I lead with these guys are one special. I mean, these are special guys that want this responsibility. I know they're smart. I give them feel. They take it and they run with it. And I see amazing things happen. So this is one great way to work with front leg stability. Two great ways. That's awesome. I know. It's cool, huh? Yeah, it's very cool stuff. Very cool. Yeah, I know. Yep. You never know what someone's going to be doing out on the field or in the gym with me. (laughs) I'm always, yeah. And I make things up as I go. All right. Yeah. I make things up as I go because each pitcher has different needs. What he, what he can't do, he can't do it because he one doesn't understand it. And two, he can't feel it. Interesting. Yeah. So anyway, so great. Do you have any questions, Joe, before we move on? No, I think that was, we've, you've, covered that pretty comprehensively. I think it's time to uh, move on to the pearls. So uh, I'm, I'm opening the box and I have that new baseball smell popping out. And today we are going to talk about the inconsistency of Noah Syndergaard's release point. And this came about because I was reading an article about how poor Noah has not been pitching as well as he has in the past. I mean, he, he's still throwing 98 miles an hour and you know, with a lot of heat, but he doesn't really have the same, um, I guess, command is, is, is the word. He's, he's kind of been having trouble with his command. He's been getting hit a lot. He doesn't have a lot of movement on his fastball. And I, and I saw an article that mentioned that his release point has wandered. And it's actually a, a pretty geeky technical website called Brooks Baseball. If, if you're into... Um, the really numbers and stats and and things with that with baseball, the sabermetrics, then you probably know about Brooks baseball. And and there's this like kind of it's it's like a it's like a map of that they have of all of Noah Syndergaard's uh different release points for his different pitches. And and when you look at the map, you can see that he is literally all over the map. And and again, we'll have a link to we'll have a link to what I'm looking at uh, in the in the show notes. And so I wanted Angel to take a look and maybe give us an idea because I think that release point has something to do with the pitching motion. So I wanted to ask you a question about this graph. So these dates at the bottom are the month, are the month and the uh, day, or are they the month and the year? It's the month and the year. So it's, that's what I thought. Yeah. I just wanted to make confirm that. Yep. So what we're seeing when we look at this graph, so anyway, just to generalize it for that his release point has gone, it's a horizontal graph and it's gone up and down and changed. And I can't interpret what it's actually saying, but that when you're looking at a graph, all you want to see is, is there anything where it's the same, it looks the same or is it changing direction? And yes, he has uh, definitely in uh, this year in July. Yeah, he his release points completely different. So, yep. the, Joe, I know that you wanted to understand uh, about the release point. Does this make sense, or how this could be? Is that your specific question? Especially since he's not locating real well. Yeah, I guess. I guess my question to you is how. Could the release point be related to what he's doing with the rest of his pitching motion? 
Well, let's put it. Th- so first of all, the first thing we want is if you notice that a pitcher, see, it's really interesting. I, the coaches, you guys are experts at seeing the ball where it comes out of the hand. I'm getting better at it. But one thing that I have always been able to do, and I don't know how, I kind of can remember a release point, you know, like the angle of the arm. So if I see a, a pitcher comes in and his release point changed, I want to investigate that. So that's the first thing. And how do you investigate it? How are you doing? What's your whip? What's your ERA? So the first thing is when you see this, so this is a a change in release points without knowing if I didn't know that his ERA was so not doing well and he's not doing well. Is that what you're saying, Joe? Yeah, he's not pitching nearly as well as he did. And and actually, when you look at where his release points were a little more consistent, those were when his his numbers were better. That's in 2016. I, yep, I mean, excuse exactly. me, in 1916. Right. Okay. Yep. 2016, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yes, you have to, you have to ask when you see a change in a release point, how's his performance? Cause sometimes pitchers change their release point for a reason or something has happened or maybe they had surgery. Doesn't mean that they're not performing well. So that's the first thing, but release points are in fact, this is what we talked about when we were talking about stability is the body rotates into the release point and the release point is a product of how the arm gets into the the place, how, how the body rotates. The arm is always connected to the body in the same way. The arm is always the same length. The body doesn't change. So if a release point is changing, and from this graph here, it looks like it looks like it's moving in a way away from his body. If I'm in understanding these numbers correctly, because it's talking about degrees off a horizontal plane. So I'm not sure I'm reading it right, but it doesn't matter. But here's let's talk about Noah first. We've talked about him before because he's such a great pitcher, and I remember you're bringing him to me years ago. Mm -hmm. And I was just wishing that his arm wasn't late because his arm is extremely late. His his arm is vertical to the ground, his forearm, when his front foot lands. Unless it's changed since the last time I saw him pitch, his arm is extremely late. So let's talk about the late arm and what it has to do with release points. So why don't we want an arm to be late? Because... When the body starts rotating, which signals the beginning of the rotation phase, we want the arm up in a very nice position. So during the rotation phase, the shoulder can stretch. So when the rotation phase has ended, the shoulder is fully stretched. And from that stretch, the arm goes out as a product of that stretch. The stretch of the chest brings the hand out. So if you're getting the proper stretch through the uh, shoulder accelerators, your hand will go where that stretch puts it. He doesn't have a stretch phase when his arm is that late. He's so late when the rotation phase starts that he's not really directing his hand through the use of his muscle. See, this is what's cool. You don't have to know where your hand, you don't have to think I'm going to put my hand here in pitching. It's how you stretch your chest and that puts the hand where it needs to go. 
And the elbow has something to do with how right to left the hand is or left to right, depending on if you're righty or lefty. But let's not get let's stick with just the the, the chest brings the hand. OK, the shoulder brings the hand. That's the way it works. The elbow can't do that. OK, the elbow can't move things in that direction. The shoulder moves the hand forward. So if we have a shoulder that is not really prepared correctly, what you're doing is you have a lot of wobble to your delivery. So sometimes the shoulder will bring the hand in one place and then the role the elbow places is how long that arm is going to be when the shoulder brings the hand out. So the shoulder brings the hand forward, the elbow determines how far out to the outside it is. And if you get the shoulder not completely stretching or it just partially stretches, it can start to put the hand in a certain place. You do that. Then it has an effect on the elbow. And now you've got an, a hand that's all over the place. You've got a shoulder that's moving in a different plane of motion. The shoulder moves in multiple planes of motion. The elbow moves in only one plane of motion. If the shoulder isn't properly prepared during the rotation phase, what it's going to do next and then how the elbow responds to that is going to be up for grabs. So when we have someone, so when you talk to me about this, I wasn't surprised to hear this. Looking at the graph, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. The graph doesn't tell you that. You're telling me that by his performance. He could have a different release point and be doing better. Who knows? But if we're talking about we've got a pitcher who is got such variability in his release point and he's not doing well, then we go and reverse engineer it. And then I go, well, he's a pitcher whose shoulder doesn't prepare correctly because his arm is so late. That is how a release point can be related to a mechanical flaw. There are many mechanical flaws a pitcher can have that will change the release point. For example, if a pitcher has had labrum surgery and the surgeon goes in and tightens up the, the ligaments, which they do because they know they're going to stretch again. So now we've got a pitcher who can't get into external rotation. So if you're just thinking about a pitcher, think about a pitcher when he's facing his target and think about the great pitchers we see, and you'll see the forearm is laying back and is parallel to the ground behind him. Do you picture that, Joe? Am I saying that clearly? Yes. That's full external rotation. And from there, the shoulder will take that whole, the ball that's in the hand through the acceleration path forward. If a pitcher has had labrum surgery, as he goes to bring that forearm back, which is to externally rotate the shoulder, he cannot do it. So he lifts the arm up because he can't keep the motion going backwards, but he has to get the ball in line with the delivery. So he lifts the arm up out of the socket. And now you got the guy who's releasing what you guys call over the top. The trajectory's off. And he's just, you know, the re location's off. And that's a problem because his shoulder, again, didn't stretch his the ball itself in the hand into the correct acceleration path. So for that pitcher, his shoulder isn't doing the right thing. Noah's shoulder wasn't doing the right thing. Both of them are for different reasons. 
But if the ball is not in the acceleration path in the right way. So when we look at release points, you know, as a kinesiologist, I go, okay, I look at this and I'm like, okay, I see. What am I going to look at? I want to look at the variation in what he looks like when he's in max external rotation. Because now we're getting to the to the solution. The ball releases as a product of where the path starts. And the path is created by the way the body positions itself when it rotates and the position of the arm. Now, I know this is getting complicated, but did, are you following me, Joe? Yes. You are doing really well today. <laughs> I'm giving you, well, I'm giving you an A+. Plus, but you know what? I love it because you know I can hear you thinking. <laughs> I can hear you following mm-hmm. this, and I love that. That's why I have Joe on the show so everyone knows because he's the baseball guy, and he's excellent. So I need someone there who can say, yes, Angel, I'm following Because if you tell me I didn't get that, then I know, uh-oh, I've got to re-explain that. Isn't that kind of a cool thing to know? Yeah, it's very cool. Release point isn't just this random thing that's out there. And it's like, oh, I mean, you know, the spin is a product of the fingers, which is a product of the wrist, which is a product of the elbow to the shoulder. Okay. The trajectory is a product of the shoulder and the way the fingers are pulling on the back of the ball. I mean, it's like you have to take that ball on the fingertips and you got to follow it backwards. Where was that ball when it was in the palm? Then where was it as it was coming over through the path? Where was it behind the body? Where was it when he came out of the glove? Follow the ball. You follow that trail and you find out why a pitcher's location is off. So in answer to your question, is variability of a release point And we're talking about a bad thing happening with release point and a bad thing proven by bad statistics. Yes, it's related to the body where he's landing, creates where the arm's going to be, where the way he comes out of the glove creates where the arm's going to end up. Everything is about the way the body moves through the delivery and forces the hand into a position or allows the hand to go into the position that it's supposed to go into because you've done everything right. So you're either in cooperation or not in cooperation. And that's, that's the, that's the story on that. Hmm. All right. I don't know why they have, I don't know why Noah hasn't this, this is not a a hard thing to see a late arm. I, I just don't understand if he doesn't know it or not, but he's got to feel, you know, that's one thing pitchers always tell me when I say, look how late your arm is. They're like, you know what? I knew it. My arm felt like it was dragging behind me. Pitchers always know it. And he's so good. Yeah. I mean, he's one of my pitchers, favorite pitchers love him and I love him and I wish. And when I saw this, I went, Oh no. Yeah. I mean, you know, he he should be a lot better. And that's why that the thing, you know, I, personally don't completely understand the the whole graph with the with the release yes. points but but i i understand enough to see that there's a lot of variability it's yeah yeah Com- especially it's different yeah especially compared to when he was pitching well it's uh you know it's a like a very big difference and you know i i just wondered if you know we're, we're putting a lot of things together this this year with noah Syndergaard in our, in our different episodes and um yeah. I'm just wondering where all this is leading because so far it's leading to 
you know, really inconsistent performance. He's being hit a lot harder. His his location is off. Mm-hmm. And what's next? Are we going to find out that maybe there's another issue? Yeah. But we'll see. Yeah. And, and by the way, everybody, they have a different color for each pitch, and he throws five pitches. And the thing is, there's an inconsistency by date. Yes. But all the pitches are clustered together. In other words... He's like really changed his location. He's really changed his release point. It isn't like, oh, he's dropping his arm on his curveball or he's doing this because the curveball is way over here. And the fa- no, all of them are changing consistently as they find that the ball, the release point's changing. So that's the way you look at this graph. And yes, I don't know how to read it either, but all we know is if you look at it, you'll see, wow. There's a lot of patterns going on here, but the patterns are all, they're all sticking together in one cluster. Yeah. And, and most, most of the pitchers were, you know, if you, if you look at a lot of other pitchers who have success, you know, sustained success at the major league level, you'll, you'll see kind of a, kind of a gap in between the pitches. So even though pitchers try to yeah maintain the same release point with all their pitchers in reality, the way it's graphed out, whatever, whatever science they're using to, to accumulate this you will usually see a little bit of a gap in between each pitch. There's there's a slightly different release point for each. And with, with Noah, it's like all in one jumbled spot. So it's 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 interesting. Yes. And, he, and it also could be he's searching for himself. You see, and this right. is the thing I, I that breaks my heart when a pitcher, when you know that a pitcher doesn't know exactly who he is or what he's doing or what he is. And he has to search around because these guys have talent. They wouldn't be pitchers, you know, at this level, at a minor league level, at a college level, and even in high school and varsity particular, if they didn't have talent, they wouldn't be there. If they're having a problem, there's a reason and it's fixable. And I have dedicated my life to helping pitchers find themselves so they can experience the thing that got them there in the first place, which is some gift and that head that a pitcher has to have that wants to get on the mound and and take that responsibility for the game. So it breaks my heart when I see this because we know he's good and and Syndergaard is one of the best. And so a very interesting graph. Another great topic, Joe. I thank you so much for finding it. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And just one, one other thing I want to point out about the graph the only other time you see such variability for Noah Syndergaard is his rookie year in 2015 when he he did show flashes of brilliance, but then other games he was just getting rocked. So it's it's almost like he's come full circle and and re, you know returned to a, a you know maybe regressed or something. I don't know. We'll see, but uh, we'll we'll keep watching it and see how it goes. So that's about it for this episode. This was a long one. We went we went a little over an hour. I hope everyone uh, enjoyed it. And to learn more about what Angel does, be sure to head over to her website, gymscience.com. And that's Jim as in G-Y-M-S-C-I-E-N-C-E.com. If you have any questions for Angel or maybe topics for the show, for a future show, you should send them to Angel at angel at gymscience.com. And Angel, are we still running uh, any uh, rebates on your awesome products? Yes, actually, uh, the sale will probably go on until the end of the baseball season, which is only fair. So to buy the elbow book and get a discount of $20, uh, you can put the word elbow in the code 
box and it's all caps elbow and for the rotation book you can put the word rotation in all caps and get a discount on that as well great all right so that's it for this week we'll be back again in about two weeks in the meantime we wish you safe and effective performance on the pitching mound bye everybody and thank you for listening